The Bible is full of practical stories for personal applications. When we look at the story of, of Moses, and we looked a little bit about it last week, but we're going to go into depth in the first 10 verses. Let's go ahead and just follow along with me as we read the first 10 verses. And we've read the first one. The second one says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not, not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place wherein thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of, the fa of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. For I am, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land into a good land, and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey, into the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee into Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth thy, my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I want you to notice something in verse number 10. It says that I might bring forth my people. He did not say, I want you to bring forth your people. He said, my people. He's holding a possession with them. But when we go back to this, God has to get us where we need to be in order for us, for Him to use us. Sometimes that's knocking off a little bit of the, pot, the, the clay to make us the pot that we need. And if He's the potter and we're the clay, I wrote this, God has to get us where He wants us in order for Him to use us in a mighty supernatural way. And you're going to see that mighty supernatural way. The thing with Moses is, go to the first verse again, and there's something that's that said here. It says that now Moses kept the flock of Jethro. What God needed to do to Moses is to make him weak. He needed to show him and move him to a state to make him where God could use him later. God could not use him where he was. And I'll look at some things in here and I'll show you where you'll see what Moses really was. If you look at 1 Corinthians, jump over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I want you to look at a few verses in here, and I want you to see this. You know, when it talks about weakness, a lot of men never want to say, oh, I'm a weak person, uh, or I have weak character, character traits. But when you look at, in, in the Bible, the Bible talks about weaknesses very, very, very often. And it says in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, it says, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Now watch this. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. He's talking about God wants us to be weak. You say, why, why would God want us to be weak? I'll explain that in just a second. Keep going. Go over a couple chapters. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 10 says this. It says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. It's talking about being weak again. And go flip over to 2 Corinthians, one, one book over, and look at this verse. And this is a verse I want to look at for just a second. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it says this. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. 
It says this, it says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. As a person, we would never say our strength is made perfect in weakness. To us, weakness and, and, and strength are opposites. But to God, when we, we understand that we're the weak vessel and God is the strength, that's where God wants us the most. Because if we think we're a, a, a vessel that's strong, what do we rely on? Ourselves. Ourselves. But keep reading in this verse. It says in verse number um, 11, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm sorry, verse 9, if, if we keep reading in it, it says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Of course, Paul wrote, wrote this. But keep reading in the next verse. Here's that word again. It says in verse number 10, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress. Now, how many of you can say that you do that? This is why I say that Paul was one of the best Christians to ever walk the face of the earth because he understood why things came in his life. Look at this list again, and can anybody in here say, man, I love that. I love when infirmities come. The next word is reproaches, necessities, persecutions. Man, I love when persecutions come. I love when people say things about me. I love when people do things to me. That's what Paul's saying here. But watch his res response to this. In distress for what? Christ's sake. And then look at the last part. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Well, let's go to another chapter and see where it says something else about weakness. Go to the chapter of faith. Go to the chapter of faith. If you don't think God wants us to rely totally on Him and be weak in ourselves and strong in Him, go to Hebrews chapter 11. Of course, we know all these, and of course, Moses is mentioned in there, and there's a lot of things written about Moses. But I'm not going to look at that verse. I'm going to look at another verse. Hebrews chapter 11, and go to verse number 34. It says, quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword. Now, quench the violence of fire. That's, that's interesting. And escape the edge of the sword. That seems really heroic. But look at the next word. Out of weaknesses... Out of weakness were made strong, wax valiant and fight, turn to flight the armies of the aliens. It's saying, listen, when we get to where we, we need to be, we are going to understand that we are weak and he is strong. Because when I rely on my own personality or I rely on something that I know, I'm relying on me rather than him. And what God wants to do is he wants to get us where we're not relying on ourselves, we're relying on him. I don't know what that means to you. I know what it means to me. And there's times where I, I think, oh, I can handle this. I can do this. And then I get into it. It's like, no, this is not the way. There's been times when, you know, in, in, in my ministry that I felt like, okay, I can do this on my own personality. That's not what God wants us to do. God created a personality for a reason, but he wants us to rely on him. And so when we look at this, let's go back to Genesis, Exodus chapter 3. And I want you to see what I'm, what, what I'm trying, trying for you to get. In Exodus 3, you see something. Moses grew up where? The first 40 years of his life, where was he? He was in Egypt. He was formally trained, formally scholared in all these things. He knew everything about what was going on in the king, with the king. But then the next 40 years, he does what? He goes to the wilderness. 
And when we catch him in this verse, I don't think it's just by happenstance that God writes this. I think it's very interesting that he writes this. Watch. If I were to, if I were to say, who are some fam famous shepherds in the Bible? The first one we would say is who? David. Who else would we say? I would think of the New Testament. I would think of the shepherds that weren't by name, but they were shepherds and they got to see Christ in, in the, in the um, stable. But we never say Moses the shepherd. We just don't think of him that way. But in this verse, after 40 years at Egypt and 40 years in the wilderness, what is he? He's a shepherd. Now God has, God has made him what he needed to be. The shepherds in the Bible were always what? The lowest job you could possibly have. Why was David a shepherd? Because he was so young. He would later be what? A man of war. But he's also a shepherd. Did God teach David stuff as a shepherd? Absolutely he did. We have, that, we have Psalm 23 because David was a shepherd. What else did he learn? He learned how to kill a bear. He learned how to kill a lion. He killed him away. I wouldn't kill him, but he killed him that way. He learned a lot of different things. But here you have Moses, and he is, he is not the same person that he was. Let's, let's see this really quick. Go back to um, Exodus chapter 2, and let's pick up another story with him. We, just, we read this a couple weeks ago, but Exodus chapter 2, you see in verse number 11, And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, he was no longer a child, and he went out with his brethren and looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian, smiting in Hebrew, one of his brethren, and he looked this way and that way, and when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Let me ask you this one question. Is he the same person in this verse as he was in, he, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1? No. You know what he's filled in with this? He's filled in because I've built, I, I, I'm educated, I know what I'm doing, I'm going to protect, almost a, a form of arrogancy and pride. So you see him with being arrogant and pride, and then in, in you read the next two verses, and it says, And when he was out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together, and he said to, to him that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? Look at these three questions. Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? What's interesting is God did. Now, God had already made him a prince, but later on God's going to make him a judge. And he's going to help Israel and judge them and bring them into what they need to be. So God's done that, but that's a question that they don't understand at this point. And the third question is this, Intendest thou to kill me as thou killed the Egyptian? Now when I look at this, there's two things that this guy did. He either used sarcasm when he said it, or he was scared of what this guy was going to do to him. But watch Moses' response. In the first two verses, he's arrogant and prideful. In the second two verses, he's, he's full of fear and insecure. Look at, the, look at how it responds. And, and Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known, and he flees. Now this was all in God's plan, but if you look at Moses in these verses, and you look at Moses in, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, he is a different person. He's no longer arrogant. He's no longer prideful. I would say this, he even dresses a whole lot different. I think he was dressed in the full regalia in this verse, but then when you get there, he's in rags, tattered, tattered clothes. 
He's fielding these sheep. And when I think about this, it's just interesting how God, how God changes us. He changes us really quick. In Exodus chapter 3, it says this. It says he kept the flock. I want to give you some things about Moses the shepherd. Moses the shepherd was not arrogant and prideful now. Not only that, he was not fearful or insecure now. He was broken. He didn't have all the money that he had before. But I found out really quick that God loves a broken vessel because he can fix it. You ever thought why that verse is in the Bible where it says it's hard for a rich, it, it, it's hard for a rich man to become, to go in the kingdom of heaven? Why? Because they're not broken. They've got everything they need. Why do they need God? When you've got all the power, as Moses did in Exodus chapter 2, then all of a sudden Exodus chapter 3, he has no power. He's just watching some dumb sheep. Hmm. So Moses the shepherd was not arrogant or prideful. Moses was not fearful or insecure, Moses the shepherd. It took 40 years in the wilderness to make him that way. Man, if, if God teaches me something, I want to learn it quick. Amen? I don't want to spend 40 years learning it. And for 40 years, he, he, he teaches him this. But let me say this. Moses the shepherd also learned leadership with what he was doing. Have you ever cared for a dumb animal? When you care for a dumb animal, you're the one in charge and you're the one that they're watching. Everybody knows I have dogs, but dogs, they're smart dogs, there's dumb dogs. The one dog that we had to put down was a very smart dog. I, I figured out something, I was reading some books about, um, there's, there's a book um, called um, Sheepdog, Lessons from a Sheepdog. How many of you have ever read that? It's a little small book, Lessons from a Sheepdog, very well written by Phillips. It talks about the, the sheepdog, how, what they need. And this one dog that, that we put down, she was always trying to be in charge. You know how you can tell if a dog's trying to be in charge? If they want to go out the door first. You know what I learned really quick with her? Make her go out the door after me. Because I want a leader. You're either going to train an animal or they're going to train you, amen? And so while he's out there working with these sheep, he's all by himself. All he has is time. He sees these sheep, and I want to say this, he learned some leadership qualities in there. Because later on, he was going to be work, working with people that act just like sheep when they're in the wilderness. God trained him in the wilderness with sheep, and later on he's going to have sheep as people that he's going to be in the wilderness with. And those sheep as people are going to act, do some of the dumbest things, just as dumb as what the sheep do. God is training him the whole way, but he's broken him down. And one of the other things I want to say about Moses the shepherd, he was not idle. A lot of people want to be pulled off the shelf and say, okay, I don't want to do anything for God anymore. But Moses, wherever he went, he was working. He was working hard with this. So we have Moses the shepherd, was not arrogant and prideful. He was not fearful or insecure. He learned some life lessons and leadership lessons, and he was not idle. Um, so let's look at Exodus, Exodus chapter 3, verses 2 through 6. Here's the story of the burning bush. 
And, I, and I've said this last week, that God knows us. And, and, and you can see it in this verse because he sees the, in verse number two, he sees the burning, fire, the burning bush. And then Moses says in verse number three, and Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And, what, and watch God's response to this. I think this is interesting. He, he responds to, to, to Moses' response in verse number four. And when the law, and Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him. Because he went back, he talks to him. So I'm going to give you three things real quick about Moses. Moses, number one, sees. Moses, number two, hears. And Moses, number, two, number three, listens. Those are good qualities, amen? But the most important one is the third one. Watch. How many times have you seen something, you've heard something, but you didn't listen? Happens to me. How many times have you ever been watching something, listening to something in your car, all of a sudden you look back and you see blue lights behind you. They're not pulling you over. They're just wanting you to get out of their way. But you weren't paying attention to the things that were around you. You pull over and go, oh my word, is he going to pull you over? No, he flies past you because he's going after something else. We've got to be able to see something. We've got to be able to hear something. We've got to be able to listen. So let's look at these three things real quick. Moses sees. Let me, let me ask you this simple question. What do you see around you? There are people that are hurting. There are always people that we can help. Look at verse number three. It says, And Moses said, I will now turn aside and what? See. And this little bush burning, he says, is a what? Great sight. Have you ever met somebody that is just oblivious to everything? I have some relatives that are oblivious to everything. They wouldn't know their nose on their face if you showed it to them. And I was thinking when I, when I was studying this today and yesterday, I thought, sometimes I feel like a, a bush would not have caught my attention. You set a tree on fire, it'll catch my attention. Whereas that in North Carolina, you could burn things in your, at your house in a controlled burning. And one time we had this couch, and I thought, man, I just don't want to take this to the dump. I'm just going to burn this couch. It was a love seat. So I lit it on fire. And I, want, I want you to know, I know why houses burn up so fast. My daughters were walking down the road, and they saw that thing from about a half a mile. They were like, what was that fire, Dad? It went about 20 feet in the air. It only lasted for about three or four minutes, but it burned it all up. And I remember, I think Ann, or maybe it was Megan that walked out and goes, what are you doing? The other daughter was walking down the road and looking at it. But what sometimes I need is I need a whole tree so that I can see it. But the problem with that is if a whole tree catches on fire, everybody else can see it. Simple application is this. Sometimes God wants your attention, no one else's. Here's a little bush burning. That's not, a, that's not the norm. And I don't know what he has to do, but it says he turned aside to go to it, so he probably took care of his animals, and then he walks over to see what's going on, but at least he sees it. Maybe, he's got, maybe God is wanting my attention. Maybe he's wanting your attention. He shows you things all the time. Do you not believe that God shows you things? All the time. He lets you use good judgment. He'll, he'll say, okay, I think you probably shouldn't be in this area. 
You know, we're, um, Daniel and I are going to go to a Bible conference and we're going to a town that I don't know if it's a very safe town. So I, I know someone in this church that knows this town. So I'm going to go ask that person, is there a place we shouldn't or shouldn't stay? Especially when we're bringing our wives to it. You, you, God gives you sound mind. He wants you to use it. And here, we've got to see this. So number one, Moses sees. Number two, Moses hears. What do we hear? He sees it, so he goes and he, he, he looks at it, and it says in verse number four, And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. This was not the norm, and God is using now two senses of his to get his attention. What's he using? He's using his vision, and he's using his hearing. So because he hears that voice, and God always does things like this to get our attention. The sight that he saw was not normal. The sound that he saw was not normal. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand, but how many of you ever talked to a bush? It's funny, I have my son-in-law from North Carolina names all of his plants. He has names for all of them in his house. So my wife figured that out, and when he came over one time, he said, he said this, is it Jeremy? What's the name of the one? Jeremy. Okay, no offense, Jeremy. But, um, <laughs> he named one of our plants Jeremy. I was like, that's different. Okay, so we buy another plant, and Ann takes a picture of it, sends it to him, and says, what's this plant's name? And so he comes up with a name. And I thought it was a boy plant, but he named it a girl name. What's the, girl's, what's, what's the name? Okay, all right. Well, he's got a name for it. He remembers it, and when he comes over, he talks to it. Now, no, he's not crazy. He just likes to talk. He sees these plants and names them. Now, let me ask you this. Riley's walking into the church. Unbeknownst to him, I put a speaker in one of those bushes outside. And I start talking to him. And he walks up, and he starts talking to the bush, thinking it's not me, but it's the bush. Would you not think he's insane? See, we read these stories and we say, oh, here's a bush that's on fire that he sees that's not being consumed. Here's a bush that starts talking to him and we just think, oh, it's just the norm. It's not the norm. Just do this when someone's around. Go to, go to Lowe's and when you buy your, buy your stuff, just start talking to your bush like it's one of your friends. What are people going to say or do? They're going to think you're crazy. But God can do anything He wants. But we've got, to, we've got to be observant, see things that God wants us to see. And then when God speaks to us, we need to listen. When did you get in trouble when you were young? When you didn't listen. How many of you ever heard this statement? You weren't listening to me. Did you even listen to what I said? I can remember my dad and my mom saying that all the time. You need to listen. Let's look at the third one. He says, Moses, Moses, and he, he responds, here am, I, here am I. Now Moses listens. We cannot attain everything that God has for us. We don't understand everything about God. But let's go to these next verses and I want you to see this. Moses listens. We need to reverence God. Okay? And I want to I'll, I'll illustrate this in just a second. Go, go to verse number five. It says, and he said, draw not. He says, listen, don't go any closer to where you are. And what does he do? He doesn't go any closer. 
Have you ever said to somebody, don't look over to the right, and what do they do? They normally look to the right. Here he says, draw not, and he doesn't do it. Now look at the next one in verse number 5. It says, take off thy, thy shoes, and he takes off his shoes. The whole time this bush is burning and it's talking to him, everything it's saying, Moses is doing. And to show you how reverent Moses is to him in verse number 6, it says, and Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. So we have Moses, he sees, Moses, he hears, and Moses, he listens. Then when, he, when God speaks to him, what does he say? He says, I am the God of thy father. He's not referring to Pharaoh. He's referring to his earthly father. He says, listen, your father served me. And you don't need to be doing this Egyptian thing. And I don't think he was, but he's saying, listen, I am the God of your, your father. Then he lists some people. The God of the father is a personal application. But then he says, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. What he's saying to Moses here is, I am not a new God like the Egyptian surface. I am the God that's been in your heritage. You better listen to me, Moses. He gets Moses' attention. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Very interesting story. Matthew chapter 22. Those words are found in Matthew chapter 22. In verse number 31 and 32. It says, but, but in Matthew chapter 22, verses 31, it says, But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now watch this. God is not, a, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Aren't you thankful God is living? Man, we, we don't get excited a lot, but I'm telling you, God is the God of living. It's good when you're praying. Because you want that God of living to answer your, your, your prayers. Bobby, you told me what, what's going on with your situation. Thank God for that. I've been praying for you all day. Got some test results today. He's a God of the living. And he says it in Matthew. And, and as you study this, it's interesting because how many of you ever heard the word Yahweh? Or Jehovah Jireh? Now when Yahweh was, was written... We, pronounce, we say Y-A-W-Y, W-E-H, I think, is what it is. But when they wrote it, they never said it. There never was a vowel in their language with that word. All it was was four letters. It was all consonants. Do you know why they did that? Because to them... Yahweh, and they, they'll tell you, that's, they don't even know if that's how they pronounce it, but they think that's how you'd pronounce it. But if you go back and you study this, they didn't want to say His name. Because His, his name was so reverent that they didn't want to speak it. Remember when He says, who are you? What, what am I going to tell the people who you are? What, what, is, what does God say to him? I say that the I am. That's the word... Yahweh or Jehovah Jireh. Tell him who you are. Man, we, we have a God that needs our reverence. So when he tells you to do something, you better do it. I, most Christians, if they were Moses, you know what they say? You mean take my shoes off? Can I just leave my shoes on for just a little bit? I don't think Moses took any time there. I think he was, his shoes were off. 
And I, and I think when, when they said, don't come any closer, there was not a, an ounce of, of weight in his body that said, okay, I'm going to just get a little bit closer. He wasn't like we are. If you've ever had two children, remember that line that you put in the back of your car? This is your side. This is my side. Don't come over here. And what do they do? They always put their hand over. A preacher that I worked for one time got mad at his wife's cold feet. Middle of the night, she kept putting her cold feet on, so you know what he did? And I wouldn't recommend you do this. He took a black marker in the middle of the night, pulled the sheets all the way off the bed, and took a black marker on the white sheets and put it down and said, you stay on that side and I'll stay on this side. He goes, I can't sleep with your cold feet. Well, he thought everything was okay, and he fixed her, her situation. About a month later, his mom and dad come and visit. She was a spiteful lady somewhat. She put those sheets on, her, on their bed. So he get, they get up the next morning and they, they ask, he, he said, how did you sleep last night, Mom? Dad, he said, well, we slept good. He said, I just got one question. What's the line in the sheets for? Sometimes we make drastic decisions and they don't make any sense. When we get to this and God tells us to do something, we better listen. When God said, don't come any closer, he didn't come any closer. When God said, take off your shoes, he took off his shoes. He took it a step further because he said he hid his face from it. Now watch how, what happens in this story as we keep reading. So we have that Moses sees, Moses hears, Moses listens. But watch what God says. God says in these next couple of verses, he says, I, in verse number 7, And the Lord said, I, sh I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. Keep going on this and, and, and keep reading. And it says, And I have heard their, their cry by reason of their taskmasters. It's interesting. The, the two things that catch Moses' attention is the sight and the hearing of the, of the bush. Look at this. I have seen thy affliction. He, his eyes have seen it. He says, and I have heard their cry. These are the two senses that, that Moses is banking on. Then he says this, he says, and I know their sorrows in the same verse. You know what that tells me? That God knows everything. If there's ever a doubt in your mind, God knows everything. And the Israelites at this particular time, they were all about themselves. But God had to break them down as much as he had to break Moses down. I keep going. It says, when God comes down, we need to go up. Amen? Watch what it says in verse number 8. And I, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of Egypt and to bring them up out of the land of the, uh, unto a good land and a large into a land. What I've got written down here is, listen, God wants us to come to His level. Will we ever attain that? No, but when He comes down, you better go up. He's trying to teach us this. Then he says this, he says, the land of milk and honey. How many of you ever heard that? There's songs that say the land of milk and honey. You know what that signifies? There's two things that it signifies that I wrote down. Number one, blessings. God's going to bless us. Did God bless the Israelites? Absolutely he did. He still does to this day. I wonder why sometimes he blesses them so much. But you know what else milk and honey re refer to also? Work. Where do you get milk? Don't say the grocery store. Where do you get milk? I'm going to go for a cow guy over here. Wayne, do you get milk from a cow? Amen. Take some work. 
Yeah, I don't think when God was saying that, that there was a creek full of milk coming down. Remember one time we took the kids to camp, and, and, I told, and, and our counselor said, don't drink the water. And they said, I, there's nothing wrong with this water. And I said, you don't need to drink the water in this, in this um, creek. And none of them would listen, so I, said, I took two of them. I said, here, I want to show you something. I walked them up the creek a little bit. What the ones down the creek didn't understand that there were cows standing in the front of the, where they were, were uh, upstream that were going to the bathroom in the water and they were drinking it downstream. There was never a, a flow of, of, of milk in a stream. You had to work to get the milk. You had to take the cows, take care of them. And if you've ever been with a dairy farmer, it's work. And the second thing is bees. You don't get honey from nowhere, you get honey from the bees, and you have to, you have to take, take care of the bees. There's work involved with this. Then he does something that's very interesting. Look at this list. Verse number 8. Under the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, and the Hevites, and the Jebusites. Now, I don't know if Moses knew who all these guys were, but these were six. They weren't tribes. These were six nations that they were going to have to deal with. And these were heathen nations. They were terrible. Some of them were terrible. Now, when you fight one particular person, you can't fight this, another person the same way. I remember when we were, um, when I went through BLET, they told us, they said, you got to figure out what, what, your, what their weakness is and go after it. And I met somebody that was in Taekwondo. Well, if you know anybody about Taekwondo, what do, they, what do they do? They kick. So if you want to fight somebody in Taekwondo, you stay really close to them so they can't roundhouse you with your foot. But when I was studying this, the diversity of these people, you can't fight each one of these the same way. Let me tell you a little bit about these countries that they're, they're listing. Number one, the Canaanites, they were highly civilized. They had all the modern things that they had, and they had, they had everything that you could think of. The Hittites were known for their pagan gods. The problem were the next, next list of people, the Amorites. The Amorites were not civilized. They were barbarians. You can't fight the first one like you fight the third one. They fight different. They think different. They act different. He's listing all these things. The Perizzites work closely with the Amorites. The Hevites, they were tent dwellers. They were a lower citizen than what the, what the other ones were. And the Jebusites, the Jebusites originated in Jebus, which is the city that we call now Jerusalem. See, some of these countries were wiped out by the Israelites when they went through the wilderness. Others were not. In fact, the last two, Hivites and Jebusites, you'll find out that Solomon used them for slave labor when he built the temple. So God's saying, listen, these all these different things you're going to have to deal with. Keep going in verse number 9. It says verse number 9, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is coming to me, and I also seen the oppression which, wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. God sees our oppression. God sees our problems. He hears us. He sees us. He knows. We need to see Him. We need to hear Him. And we need to listen to Him. But there's one thing I want you to see. Go to verse number 8 and watch this. Watch what God says. He says, And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of Egypt. Who's speaking? Who's speaking verse number 8? 
God is. Read what, let's read it together. I'll make sure everybody's awake. Let's read the first part. All the way up to Egyptians. Okay, here we go. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Okay, let's do it one more time and we can do it better than that. All right, here we go. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. When you read that, what do you think? That God's going to take care of it. Right? Go to verse number 10. Come now therefore, and let's read the next, read the next statement for me, with me. And I will send thee unto Pharaoh. Wait a minute. God said he's going to take care of it. And then he says, I'm going to send you to do it. Which one is it? Yes. Both. Listen to the statement. God wants to use people for his work. Just like Moses. God wants to use you. God wants to use me. He chooses people. Why does he choose people? He could choose people for any reason. Could he have not had a burning bush with Pharaoh and said, hey, listen, you need to let these Egyptians go. Later on in this chapter, <laughs> he's going to tell them that he's going to go see Pharaoh, and then he's going to, in the same, same passage, God's going to say, but he's not going to let my people go. Now, I don't know about you, but I would think this whole thing through and say, well, God, why do you want me to go if he's not going to let his people go? And you said you're going to get them out, and you want me to go, and you want to use me. That just doesn't seem right. God doesn't think like us. God knows exactly what the Israelites had to do step by step. God knew exactly what, what Moses had to do step by step. But he also knew what Pharaoh had to do step by step. So all these people are different people that God works different ways with. Let me end it with this. It says, I will send, I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses is eventually going to do that. It's going to take a while, but Moses is going to eventually do that. My question to you is this. What does God want you to do? What does God want me to do? Think about this. He goes to the wilderness to a shepherd that has ran away from Egypt because he killed a man, and all of them know it, and he's asking him to bring, go back to Egypt and bring them out to go to the exact same place where he's at now. Would that be your plan? Wouldn't be my plan. But it was God's plan. Next question to you is this. What do you see? What's around you that God wants you to see? Oh, he's not going to have a burning bush, but he'll show you, he'll show you things. There's times, no doubt, in my mind and in, your, in my life and in your life that God shows you something and it's as plain as the nose on your face that God wants you to do something about it. And sometimes we don't do it. And then sometimes he speaks to us, not in an audible voice, but he speaks to us through scriptures. How many times have you ever had a bad spirit and all of a sudden you read the scriptures and go, oh wow, God's telling me that I need to fix that. 
And we hear His Word, we hear it preach, we hear Sunday school lessons, we hear songs. But do we hear what He's wanting us to know? And the last question is this, do we listen to God? If there's anybody that really probably shouldn't have went to Pharaoh, it should have been Moses. But God chose the improbable to do impossible tasks. And He'll do the same thing with you. You say, well, I don't know if I can do anything. And there's nothing wrong with asking questions to God. You know what this whole chapter is going to be about next, the next, this part of the chapter, the next chapter? All about Moses questioning everything. Who? Oh, I can't speak. I don't have the ability to do this. I can't go back. I can't do this. I can't do that. And God's just sitting there going in a burning bush. This is what you need to do. Da, 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 and do it. Do we see? Do we hear? Do we listen? Do we learn our lesson? Moses did. But it took a long time for him to get it. I don't want to waste 40 years. 